Hey, this is Tony Curl here from Think and Grow Business. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders let it be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories and inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. I have a wonderful guest here with me. His name is Tony Curl, and he has spent over 30 years in operational leadership positions in the retail sector leading large teams, up to 300 team members, and managing high revenue, up to $300 million. During his operational leadership career, he discovered a passion for developing others, and this ignited a desire to be a professional coach. He's also the podcast host of a podcast called The Today's Leader, and if you haven't already checked it out, please go ahead and do and check it out for sure. Now, as an accredited coach, he has with over 10 years professional coaching experience, And he's helped hundreds of leaders at all levels to achieve their goals. And he's got 20 plus years facilitation of training, coaching, and mentoring in organizations. Tony, a massive welcome to you. Thanks, Dennis. It's great to be here. Yeah, awesome. Whereabouts are you in the world today? I'm in Brisbane, Australia, and um, one of the only places not under lockdown over here at the moment. Yeah, one 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 of the states within Australia that isn't in lockdown for sure, yeah. Hey, um, I've just given our listeners a brief introduction to your background. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything else you'd like to tell us about your background? Yeah, I, I think retail, uh, as a, when we talk about my retail, my background, it's predominantly retail. I, I work with some of the major retailers over here, I, I Kmart, Bunnings, Coles, so very well-known brand names over here in Australia. And Often I, I feel retail leadership is almost discounted in some way, shapes and forms. So when I was a complex manager with Bunnings, for example, the stores that I was operationally operationally leading were in the vicinity of 30 to $50 million. So you've got a team of 150, you've got eight or nine direct report managers. So, so in many ways, the leadership and the management experience that I gained in those particular roles have enabled me to go out there and really help and support some of the businesses that I now support because the complexity is still the same. And, you know, understanding things like your marketing and your customer experience and and whatnot but but it's also a, a story of following your passion and purpose I guess so in 2013 when I jumped shift and left the security of the salary 
and went out on my own, I really had no idea what it was going to look like or how long it was going to be. And, you know, still to be sitting here in 2021, to, to me, is it's our own little success story. I, I've plugged away, I've persevered, I've continued on. And yeah, so, so I think that the resilience that you learn within the retail industry, the, the leadership principles, the ability to build rapport with your team and get the most out of them has really laid the foundation for me to be successful at what I do now. Yeah, great. So you mean you didn't take a red pill or a blue pill and then da-da, all of a sudden you're a leader? No, it doesn't happen like that, does it? So, you know, and interestingly, you know, all the companies I was with if I had different different styles of leadership. And, mm. you know, when I, when I look about when the wheels firmly, when, when the cogs finally turned for me around leadership, it was certainly w- with my Bunnings days. And, you know, I was really lucky to join Bunnings uh, in 1999 when they were first sort of starting out, you know, their first store was 94 and this was their first branching out into Queensland. And there were only seven stores when I joined. And now, you know, to give you an indication, there's 60 stores, over 60 stores in Queensland alone. So so mm. in those days, there was only seven. We were a really tight-knit bunch. We were something brand new. But they were really focused around the development of their leaders. So we were doing things like running regular leadership workshops um, to ensure that you know, the model that Bunnings wanted with their leaders was one that was being built from the uh, from the grassroots leadership within the stores. So, mm. you know, in those days, we, we built the leadership model that Bunnings operates under today. It was uh, just an amazing experience. And, and I guess what I learned there is that the more you invest in leadership development, the more you can challenge the status quo, the more you can get people out of their comfort zone, the better off you're going to, the the better off the business and the organisation is going to be. Yeah, and getting in, getting people out of that comfort zone is really one one thing, and I think that's where the magic happens. As we see sometimes on social media, that people talk about this is your comfort zone, but out here is out of your comfort zone is where the magic happens, and I think it's a great thing for it to happen. Tony, I want to go back to something you said before. Yep, and that is the cogs started to turn for me around <laughs> leadership. What what do you mean by that? When I was with, really simple analogy, when I was with um, Kmart, I joined Kmart fresh from school. It was the 80s. And you were firmly judged on what time you got into the building and what time you left the building and how hard you worked in between. You know, so promotions and, you know, it was a really, the, the culture was extremely it was all about how hard you worked, how much sweat equity you put into the place. It wasn't necessarily about how you led people. It wasn't necessarily about how you created a great team. It was it, it was a real personal style of judgment around your leadership. So when I um and you know that was I I guess the industry at the time. You know I talked to a number of retailers that came through at that particular time, Dennis, and many of them talk about that. If your car wasn't the first one in the car park, you were you were going to have a tough day with with your boss sort of scenario. So towards the end of my tenure, I, I spent I'm just trying to think 15 years with um, Kmart. So and, and started as a training manager and moved into a store management role in about the mid 90s and. 
it was obviously I must have been good at doing what it is that I getting the car park first and you know putting in the equity and then um, towards the end of my tenure they really started to focus a little bit more around the engagement of the people and you know how we can create a better environment but it wasn't until I, I went to Bunnings that I suddenly realized the absolute importance of leadership that an organization placed on it and that they were willing to invest in it but they're also willing to make the hard decisions on people that weren't coming along on the journey. So one of the the biggest challenges I had in my shift from Kmart to Bunnings was I went from an organisation that was very structured. It was very tick and flick. It was we had technology that was helping us in so many ways. Our stock takes were a classic example. We were ahead of the curve in the technology game with Kmart. Moving to Bunnings was a completely different mindset because technology wasn't front and centre. And, you know, and and I think back on my initial stock tanks with Bunnings and they're all incredibly manual and no, not a great deal of technology to help you. So I, so I shifted from my challenge was that comfort zone. I, I, I was, I had all this um, additional, I, I support resources and whatnot with Kmart at the time and then moved into Bunnings, which was fundamentally like a, um, a greenfield scenario. It was, we're bringing you in because of your leadership experience. We, you make the business with what you know. So we were empowered. We were able to make our own decisions, but we didn't necessarily have the support around with the, you know, technology. Different story today. Bunnings is one of the leaders in technology, but in those particular times, I really had to step out of my comfort zone, but I understood, not initially, but I understood very quickly in time, the emphasis that they placed on our leadership and our leadership ability and our ongoing development that was enabled to create the Bunnings business that we see today. Yeah, wonderful. And yeah, good to hear that you talked about that. And it's interesting to see organisations that were really heavily reliant on technology and others that weren't. Yeah. But today, I think you're right. I and mean, there's a lot more, t- uh, most organisations today are were very heavily involved in using technology to help them in their businesses, which is good. So that was all good. So how did you actually get into leadership? What, what did you, what was the sort of driver for you to get into leadership just a few years ago? Yeah, well, I, like many other people, started part-time job while I was at school. So um, I'm a Corinda High graduate here in Brisbane and um, some very famous people went to Corinda High. But while I was at Corinda High, I was also working um, at McDonald's in the city. So it was um, more social, I, I guess, than anything else. But it was a it was a lot of fun. And once again, it's a, it was a different time. But I was acknowledged there after, you know, I started working for Maccas in, in grade 10 and I, I finished up when I left school and joined Kmart. But I... Um, I was acknowledged and appointed as a crew trainer back in, you know, after 12 months. And and um, it wasn't part of a goal. I hadn't set it as a goal. It was just something that happened that was identified. There was potential there and I could teach people and I could communicate with people and I could build rapport. So, so I guess that was my initial foray into leadership but and then I joined Kmart as a training manager so so I guess from there it was always going to be a case that I was you know leading teams and you know the size of the teams wasn't once again was never part of the equation in those days it was just about how do I get better and and whatnot but when I I, I still look back on those days and I just see a kid that was trying to do his best you know Mm. and whereas it wasn't until I become really conscious as a leader, and that, and that fundamentally happened with with Bunnings. And you know, to this day, I I can still 
uh, I look at the the Bunnings leadership model, and the Bunnings leadership model is just a really, really powerful sort of a model. And you know, it was used in just about every aspect of the organisation. You know, we started with the values as the foundation. We then had the strategy and the culture side, and it was all leading up to to the vision of the organisation. So you know, things like building trust, developing people, and then that was the cultural side. So that was real key and critical. But then on the strategy side, it was about how do you inspire people and drive performance. So you had that really good, strong mix, and that really gave me an understanding that that is what leadership is all about. It's about building the rapport and developing your team to be the best that they can be, but still having the discipline and desire to drive the results. So so when you when you say, <laughs> how did you first get into leadership? A little bit of a long-winded story, but I think fundamentally I look at that time with Bunnings is when I first got into the my real understanding of what leadership is all about. Yeah, cool. Because I'm sure there's a lot of young people out there today who are thinking about what can I do or what should I do to start getting into leadership and do I need to go and work for a McDonald's? Do I need to go and do something like that? And I think what I've heard from a lot of people that I've interviewed I and mean, other leaders that I've worked with is that it's pretty important that they get some structure around them. But I think it goes back to the piece that you talked about, building rapport and doing so forth. But I think the thing that you said, which was inspire people and drive performance. Yeah. And if we can learn how to do that, I think that's going to be quite strong. Absolutely. And it's going to set you apart because from my experience, Dennis, and you've probably seen this as well, a lot of leaders are only just hanging on. And so they're, they're only just getting the day's work done. They're only just getting their team to do the bare minimum. And if you were to talk to some of them about, well, what do you do to inspire <laughs> inspire your people and drive performance? It's probably the last thing on their mind. They're just wanting to get through the day. And mm. and that's one of the real challenges I, I think that leadership faces is that um, we have a number of people that potentially may not be, should not be in the roles that they have, but also they're not being developed to give themselves a, a better understanding of how they can perform better. So, Yeah. No, nice. Thank you. Tony, here's a question for you, and that is, who's your favourite leader? Now, this person can be from history or could yeah. be alive. Yeah. So who's your favourite leader and why? I'm probably going to buck the trend a little bit here, Dennis. I've had some amazing leaders in my career, but, you know, as with everyone, I've also had a couple of really poor ones. But I've got to admit that my favourite leader of all time, and you've opened that up, dead or alive of all time, was a rugby league coach called Jack Gibson. Now, Jack, I don't know if you're aware of who Jack is. I know that you're more of a union person than a league person over there in, in New Zealand, but he fundamentally changed the way rugby league was coached. And this is like the mid-70s. So he took Parramatta to their first ever premiership. And he also had a real way with words. And I, it's in folklore that um, when he was past the microphone the day that Parramatta won the, the comp, all he said was, ding dong, the witch is dead. So he just had, <laughs> had a real simple way of communicating that just made the point. But, but Jack, he moved the game from what could be maybe a semi-professional era into a more professional era. So so many other coaches were still just running the, the laps of the oval, maybe getting in a game of touch and then a journey to the pub. 
And he was the first real coach that developed what I would call the art of coaching, the science of getting the best out of the team and and the individual. He was innovative. He um, visited many NFL clubs. He, He adopted some of the practices where he could. He surrounded himself with good people that complemented the skill set that he had. And finally, I think one of the real key things that Jack had was he was the first coach that talked about recruiting players of character first. So he was known for, for that was a real key criteria for someone to be on his footy team. They had to be a person of character first because talent he could teach and he could coach. So, yeah, so a person that had a, a great deal of influence. But, but you know, I mentioned the ding-dong, the witch is dead quote, but, you know, he was once asked by a, a young player who, who made his debut, how'd he go, and he just simply said, you played strong, you done good. So, and so once again, it's just communication tailored directly for that particular person. There was no words that sort of lost its meaning. It wasn't a detraction. It was just played strong, done good. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that he he talked about, Dennis, is still relevant in business, football, whatever it is. You know, he used to say things like uh, the big test in football is how a captain leads under conditions of adversity. And there's nothing more adverse than what we've faced in the last two years around the world. So how is a leader leading through these conditions of adversity? In football, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. Well, we we could talk about the wallabies there, but we won't. But... (laughs) But, oh, come on. <laughs> but those quotes, like this is mid-70s football coach mm. saying things that are relevant to footy but also relevant in so many ways. And that's why I think Jack Lee, um, Jack Gibson is a real leader. I, he's um, There's a number of books that he's got out. Um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2008. But books of his quotes, of his sayings, of his um, Winning Starts Monday is another one. That's one of the books that he's got, So, which is, a, once again, a, a change away from what was current at the time. People were saying, play the game Saturday, that's when you win. Well, Jack said, no, winning starts Monday. So it mm. was the week leading into the game. So, But, yeah, so Jack was a real influence. And I've really got to say, the more I read about Bob Hawke and the more I truly understand Bob Hawke, You've got to acknowledge, and unfortunately another one that's passed away, but, you know, in 1984, Dennis, he had an approval rating of 75% as the Prime Minister of Australia, and, you know, that's unheard of. You know, Mm. Prime Ministers here nowadays, if they're sitting at 39%, they think they're doing a great job. Bob Hawke had 75%. So what sort of a... That's a great leader that can bring along everyone within the country and not just your side of politics. So... You know, they would be, um, I know I was a bit cheeky and added Bob in there, but Jack Gibson and Bob Hawke would be two leaders that greatly uh, I admire and respect. Yeah, excellent. Tony, that's that's some good points that you've brought up there, and it's fascinating to hear about those two gentlemen in particular. One in particular with, with you know, the committed thing about winning starts Monday, that's a great thing too because it's the lead-up to the whole game all week and what the people do. And then the second thing would be in relation to actually getting people to talk about things around those approval ratings and that. And, mm. yeah, it's amazing. So that's really quite cool. I really like what you said about communication tailored with that person. And communication can be tailored to a person and, it, and it's personalizing. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing. The question I've got for you next is the show is called – Leadership is changing. Yep. What does that mean for you? It means, you know, many things for me. I think leadership is always evolving. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I see 
the evolution, say, in the last decade has been technology. And the data that's available for leaders, for example, can be really beneficial. But ultimately, say, data and big data will only help if that data is absolutely relevant and measuring what is important. You can get data on all sorts of things, Dennis, as we know. But if it's not measuring what's ultimately responsible or what, what's critical for the organisation, it's pointless. But, but with that, technology is created what I would call things like crisis points. It's sped up the business cycle. It's challenged us in the way we communicate. It's challenged leaders in how people receive communication because once once again, the you know, we, we're tuned into like 15-second sound bites now as people. And, you know, when, when leadership communication can quite often not be summed up in a 15-second sound bite. So, so the, the world is, the pace is quick and challenging and and a leader needs to stay abreast of that or to at least abreast or to stay ahead so and the other area that I that I see really fundamentally changing the landscape of um, leadership is that we know more about humans than we have ever ever before known you know the research around neuroscience we've got you know all that stuff that's happening with the brain that we know so much more about there's you know advances in personality profiling and our leadership of our people changes with that and and one of the the big challenges for leaders out there is that they're not there are going to be some people who choose not to embrace some of this uh, positive change, you know, in respect of how we understand people and how we can embrace and investing in that so to get the most out of our people. There's going to be people that choose not to. So in my mind, they're choosing not to stay relevant and they're going to be left behind. So businesses that don't evolve, get left behind. And we saw that with COVID, unfortunately. A lot of people with business, old business models, old modes of working, antiquated ideals have really struggled. And if they're still going today, it's it's through sheer lack and tenacity and not because of a good business model. So leadership is always evolving. COVID's accelerated, I, I suppose, every aspect of business in so many ways, um, not all for the good, but but businesses and business leaders have to be more leaner, stronger, more agile, more open, more more willing to think, more willing to invest in themselves. So technology, the, the advancing researches that we, we're seeing in and around humans is an absolute need for just about every leader that I know. And then looking at uh, our business model. So leadership is always changing and that's what it fundamentally means for me. Yeah, very good. And I think Jack Gibson, with his, 50, you know, the small quotes he would say, so the 15-second soundbites probably would have suited him yeah. perfectly, yeah, so which would have been good. And and sometimes as a leader, you will say a 15-second soundbite that means something and people can grab it, right? And that's positive. But, you know, when you're looking at a complicated change management process or you're, or you're looking at a business turnaround, that can't be summed up in a 15-second strategy meeting. It, there's, a, there's a strategy around it and the challenge for leaders is how do we get that communication into the the minds and the hearts of our people so that they can own it? And you may have a motto, a grab line that people gravitate towards. That's that's um, part of communication as we know now. But the longer term communication of the strategy is going to be a little bit more than just 15 second bites. Uh, absolutely. But I think there's a lot of leaders out there that do do that 15 second bite around strategy and then they go get on with it. And it's like, but people don't get it. They yeah. don't understand it and it doesn't resonate with them. And I think that's something that leaders need to work on for sure. Yeah. And and interesting, Dennis, in, in our world of coaching, facilitating and 
and developing people, there's been a real change in the way training is turned. We now talk about micro-learnings and we're now talking Mm. about having a short video or a short session with a very short, clear, single focus. And as opposed to what potentially may have been, you know, a two, four, a full day session. Now, now businesses are talking to us about, we just want a series of micro learnings where we can get in, get out, make the learning, take the action and move on. So, so even that is changing with the pace of the world. Uh, absolutely it is. And um, we, we've seen that in all sorts of different areas and different industries, for sure. And speaking of industries here, Tony, how, how has your business or industry changed and, and what demands has that put on you? Well, I, I'm a retailer and I've always been a retailer. So, And yeah. it's pretty fair to say that retailers probably been the hardest hit by technology and e- e-commerce, but as well as a changing consumer expectation. And once again, old models have struggled and they've been struggling for a while. And, and I guess once again, COVID has accelerated that. And, and what I see now, Dennis, in retail is that you really fundamentally need a hybrid model that's integrated so that your online is integrated with your physical presence, that your systems are integrated, that it's all operating on one unified piece of technology. So it, online can't be a standalone that, you know, when on, online and e-commerce first came out, it used to be like tacked onto the side, whereas now it's got to be an integral part of what it is that you're doing. But it's also about how do you integrate that from a business brand perspective and how do you ensure that the customer experience that you're delivering mm. right across your business is uniform and consistent? And as you know, in retail, customer experience has always been the key. If, if you weren't ex- creating an experience for your customers, you weren't going to survive long. But now the, the challenges is um, the customer experience, the simplicity, uh, the clear offer that you've got, the ease of selection. Now, and just to give you an understanding of how it has changed, I, I did some work with a company over here in Australia and an amazing business, and we were looking at developing a customer service model. And usually... Back in the day, I guess, within a store, you had a very clean model. It was people walked in, there was a greeting, there was acknowledgement, there was service, et cetera, et cetera. You could could define the steps maybe in five or six steps. Now, when we actually did the, the workshop and brainstormed, the actual touch points of this particular business, because they were retail, they were physical, and they were online, there were 60 potential touch points. So what we mean by a touch point is that place where a customer touches something or someone within the business, right? So 60. Now, prior to online, I reckon a retailer would have been lucky to have mapped out 10. So, And the challenge that you've got with that is that that's 60 potential stuff up. If you don't have a a clear strategy in and around how you're going to manage that, I mean, you look at online social media, for example, people can message you through Facebook, Messenger, LinkedIn, you know, and if you don't have a clear brand strategy in and around that, you're going to miss someone and it's going to be painful. So, and it's got to be true to your brand. So, the consistency that, that you're needing nowadays in retail around that hybrid offer, integrating it within your business. So, it's all one business, you're all giving a very clear brand experience. Um, that's one of the biggest challenges that I've seen within the retail game. Amazing, isn't it? Um, and how it's all worked and the business model's changing. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think a lot of businesses, there's some out there that still haven't woken up and they're going to be in trouble. I, and, and, I, and and Dennis, you, you look at social media and social media to me is a powerful tool. So if I'm working with someone who's, you know, I work with a number of businesses that have 
just got an idea and they, they want to develop a business model. And so social media is a, a key and critical thing to build their following and build their influence and, and uh, um, drive their marketing. But here, you know, social media is also this double-edged sword. And I look at the way Walmart in the United States, for example, have adapted. And they haven't just accepted that Walmart was going to be the way of the future and that they, they've fought and they've fought for it. And one of the things that Walmart has actually done is trained some of their stores. You know, Walmart have got thousands of stores. So for me to say it's all their stores, I, I'd, I'd be lying. I'm not sure. But they, I know they've empowered people within their store sites to actually build and drive their own social media campaigns. And if you go onto Instagram, for example, and do a search for Walmart, you will see all these social media accounts for the respective stores. So Walmart have gone in, trained their people, empowered their people on the benefits of social media, and they're driving a business that's locally branded and locally loyal to that particular business. Whereas most retailers or most businesses have social media policies that almost tells their their staff, don't tell people you work for us just in case you do something wrong. <laughs> so so exactly. it, it's a real contradiction. The world's biggest retailer, Walmart, is the one going out there locally embracing the concept of social media and training their people how to do it in a way that aligns with the brand. Whereas most of the other people are just too scared of someone doing it wrong and they just keep it as a corporate thing, which then minimises the engagement. So, Yeah, absolutely minimises the engagement. And, and, and think the other thing to Tony is that they are training people to set them up for success, which is, which is really, really important yeah. to, to do for sure. Tony, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would it be? This is actually, uh, there's so many things, Dennis. <laughs> I know. And this is the thing. It's going down to there is so many things we could do. Yeah. But if we were to simplify it yeah. and just do the one thing, I, what I, would the one thing? And bringing it to the one thing, I, I think the one thing is all about long-term vision and long-term outcomes. Because what, what I often see is that leaders are often distracted by noise and uh, they're distracted by noise and the immediate needs of what's happening around them. So they're looking for a short-term fix. They're looking for a solution. And often what they're doing by doing that is that they're changing course on whatever their long-term strategy, long-term vision is and changes course and forces them to lose traction on what they may see as their long-term trajectory. So, And the challenge that leaders have when they're distracted by noise and they're looking for a short fix is that their people are going to be frustrated because they're going to see that as a bit of a knee jerk. Mm. They may have bought into the long-term strategy and then all of a sudden seeing the long-term strategy sabotaged or sidetracked because of something that's going on. So now, of course, in saying that, there's going to be some noise that business leaders have to adapt to. So COVID was a noise, what I would call a noise. It's a noise that's not going away, but it's there. When your industry is being disrupted by someone, that's a noise. So both of them sort of are really good examples of noise that needs to be addressed with a solution. But much of the noise that we actually see leaders reacting to takes them further away from where they need to be. And it's that clear understanding of what that noise is, how it's going to impact and what needs to, you know, what needs to change to create a sustainable solution. So, you know, I'll share a quick story if I can. And it's probably really, once again, it's relevant to me, it's retail. And, you know, in America, we've seen these two famous brands called Kmart and Sears that 
are probably just about gone. Fundamentally, these brands have been on life support for well over a decade and some would say longer. But And current reports, you can't even get a current store number on these two brands. But combined, it's estimated they've got about 128, whereas once they had 3,000 each. So it sort of pictures the the um, the decline. Now, one of their major responses to the retail disruption that was happening was to close stores and cut costs. So now on the surface, some would say that's a really clear, simple strategy. If we cut the cost, we'll re- increase our profit. But what it didn't take into account was the fact that, you know, access to communities, you know, you had a loyal Kmart within a community, all of a sudden it wasn't there, there was decreased sales. There was no investment in the e-commerce platform. It was just a very simplified strategy of let's cut those stores and cut costs. There was no compelling brand strategy. There was no long-term vision. So they're they're making a reactive decision based on the current environment as they see it, and they weren't looking at So they were distracted by the noise, and, and, you know, they, they weren't looking at how do we turn this around how do they were looking purely at the short-term game they, they sold off some of their most famous assets and you know and when you look back on Sears for example um, many people in America were brought up with mail order from Sears they they like invented and drove the mail order sales and industry and then now they're they're almost dead what what better foundation to start their online business and to convert people from a mail order. So, so when you look back on their their strategy, you just think they were just distracted by noise, looking for just the short-term fix. So if there was something that I would really want leaders to really drive is, you know, have a long-term vision, understand what that outcome is, and then uh, stay focused on that. But, but if you are have noise coming in, whether it's COVID or whether it's disruption within your industry, actually take the time to formulate a strategy that takes into account and doesn't then impact your business in a negative sense. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's amazing to see such large brands going like that. So it's really, really amazing. Tony, I'm mindful of your time. So yep. we've got just a few more questions here. Yep. And you and I have been employees of the past and we yep. know people who are employees of organisations. So how has employees expectations of leaders changed? I'm always reminded, I, I interviewed Max Story, a gentleman called Max Story from the John Maxwell team, an amazing story in himself. And I, I was talking to Mac and Mac really shone the light on, he, like his brand is called Blue Collar Leadership. And, you know, he really shone the light on the fact that you're in, your team member and your staff know more about your failings than you will ever, ever know. And, and one of the reasons why he talks about that is that if a leader can't admit their faults and failings, guess what? Just go ask your team because they'll be able to tell you. So I think that that's a, a real clear thing is that people are very much aware now of leaders' faults and failings. The way we motivate our teams is different. The way we engage with our people are different. So we still see too many people using old style ways of influence, you know, whether it's fear or whether it's trading or something to, to bring their team along on the journey. So I think leaders need to understand their employee expectations. I've got a saying, Dennis, people value people who value people. So if there is something that a leader can take out of this particular, please take that on because your team want to be valued. And as a leader, you want to value your team and value your people. And you invest in your team by giving them your time. You're giving them aspects of your experience. You're mentoring and you 
you are showing your people by your actions that you value them and that you care for them. And, you know, don't leave their ongoing development to chance. So so I think employees want to be developed, they want to be valued and they want to be cared for. And that's purely about a leader investing time in their people. So Excellent. People value people who value people. Yeah, nice. people value people who value people, yeah. Yeah, very good. Tony, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Now, if I was to sum this up, and, you know, once again, there's so many aspects of leadership, and I've, I've got a really simple philosophy around leadership. It's called the anatomy of a leader, and it starts with the core, which is our character, our calling, you know, our purpose, you know, our credibility and what it is that we do. It then leads to what I call our service heart. So this is where we serve our people and we support our people. And, you know, there's a whole range of things that are incorporated into that. And then we've got our mind, which is disciplined and transformative. So so when I look at how do we sum up what great how a leader needs to be successful, it's got to start from the core. You've got to have good character. You've got to be have a purpose-driven role within your in the way that you approach your leadership. You've got to have that calling, you've got to have credibility. It then leads to servicing your team and supporting them and building that rapport and communicating. And then ultimately it ends in the mind, which is where you get the desire, the discipline, the drive to actually achieve the results. And if you look at it within a human being, they're almost aligned. So you look at the core as being, you know, the six pack that we all want around our stomach. You look at the server's heart and then you're looking at the mind. I think if a leader can really understand those three concepts, they're going to be successful no matter what's happening around them. Yeah, very good. Yeah, some really good points here, Tony. Thank you. If I was to get you to get your crystal ball out, start <laughs> thinking about the future there, where do you see leadership being in five years? This is, once again, just another really interesting question. And actually, the one thing we know is that the pace of change won't change. You know, we know that. In fact, it's probably going to speak up. But I think there's two real key areas here. One is that technology, I'm actually a little bit fearful for leadership, In, in if I'm 100% honest. Um, you know, I think frontline and middle managers are, are in real risk of being replaced by things like AI, artificial intelligence and technology. And as a frontline leader, if I'm bringing no discernible value to the organisation, if my role is just to dole out directives, well, that can be created, that can be replaced by a piece of tech, which I'm, I'm not sure whether we would really want to go down that path, but that's the path that we seem to be going down. So I would really, have, for, for leaders to change and for leadership to change with that scenario, leadership has to be increasingly more focused on delivering value through people engagement. And ultimately, that is our only advantage that we have over a piece of tech at the moment is that we can build stronger engagement with people than what a directive on an iPhone app can do. So, so I think technology will continue to play its role but I think leadership needs to be really focused around the people, building sustainable influence and connection. Now, the other area that I think has to change, and um, I, I know I've probably got a disciple with you, a, a, a disciple on this as well with yourself, but leaders have to be better at building and maintaining trust. Now, I haven't mm. really spoken about trust a great deal today. I, I'm, 
But trust is fundamental. And, you know, we're living in a world where distrust, mistrust, cynicism just seems to continue to bubble up. It's just there. We've become so mistrusting. Um, but we're really crying out for trusted leadership. We really are. People are wanting trusted leaders. And more and more our leaders disappoint us in this. See, we, you know, from a political spectrum, we talk to, we've got leaders that are talking to their own particular echo chamber and ignoring the other side of, of the political world. And the same thing's happening within business. So, We've got to have better, stronger trust, and we've got to have leaders that understand how to build trust and how their actions are going to continue to build and maintain trust. So, so I think yeah, much more people-focused leadership has to become, and then we have to have leaders that really focus around how do I continue to build trust and engagement within within whatever my group is. Wow. So building and maintaining trust is going to be a big thing, and I think going back probably to the, the story about Jack Gibson that you shared earlier and also about what you shared about, shared about building rapport that all plays into it nicely as well. And technology will make things go, and go a lot faster as well. Yeah. So, Tony, hey, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Probably the the, the easiest thing. I, and and once again, I, I remember Paul Martin. It might have been Ed DeCosta at one of my very first John Maxwell events, Dennis. He, he spoke about you've got to own Google. So so one of the, the really important things that I, I took away from that is you've got to own Google. So if people do a Google search for Tony Curl, I'm there. I've probably got the first three pages, which is really disappointing for a guy in England who's an actor called Tony Curl because he's relegated <laughs> to like page three. And, you know, funnily enough, we actually communicate with each other, me and him. So, but yeah, Google Tony Curl, you will certainly be able to find me. But coachcurl.com is another really simple way to, to find me or just look for me on LinkedIn. More than happy to connect with anybody and to see how they can, how I can help and support and value what it is that they want to bring value to. Great. Thank you, Tony, for being on the show with us today. It's been real, a real pleasure. Uh, thank you, Dennis. It's been a joy. Thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown familiar territory and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends in your network. And if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or if there's a question for my guests as I interview them or a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, please come along to those platforms. We would love to see you join those. Thanks for tuning in today. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 